Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today I'm welcoming a lovely lady. Her name is Andrea A. Moore. She's from the US. So Andrea, whereabouts in the US are you currently? Um, I am in Central Texas. Central Texas, lovely. So what's the weather like there today? Uh, it's 100 degrees. <laughs> It's probably similar to the Spanish weather that we've got currently as well. Okay, so Andrea, you've got a quite a unique topic we're going to touch on today, which we've not actually touched on in any previous episode. So I'm quite excited to talk about this today because it's uh, all to do with grief and how that impacts our relationships. And I'm sure to some degree, you know, we, we may be all experienced this. So first of all, what, what made you sort of get into looking at this as an area that, that, that might need to be shared? Um, well, in uh, my husband and I, we've been married 14 years. We just celebrated an anniversary on September 17th. Congratulations. And thank you. Thank you. And him and I have suffered some devastating losses, um, starting with 2010, where I lost my only sister to breast cancer. 2011, he lost his mother. Oh. Not even a, a equal year apart. It was more like nine months apart. Gosh. And yes, yeah. And in those those years, because I haven't even gone on to 2012 and above. We're just going to speak on those two years. Yes. My husband, my husband and I huh, mourned. We mourned, and we didn't know how to communicate that we were hurting. We just kept moving. Now, from 2012, um, man, and I'll say from 2012 to maybe about 2013 or 14, him and I did not have a good relationship. Um, I won't say we argued a lot, but we didn't say much. Uh, we were intimate. And it was all because we were grieving. We were on our mourning journey, and we didn't know how to communicate or talk. Or even say, hey, I'm hurting today. Or him even said, I miss my mom today. Mm. You know, um, and we got three kids. So we're husband and wife. We're mom. We're sports mom. We're going to work. You know, we're doing the thing that we've been taught to do and just to move on. So grief and relationships is really a huge subject for me. Mm. Um, because I, I could easily say I got lost in my marriage. But really and truthfully, starting in 2010, I got lost in grief and forgot about my marriage. Yeah. So that's how we got here. That's that's really, really interesting. So I'm, I'm interested to hear sort of what you were feeling and experiencing compared to what you later found out that he was feeling and experiencing during that period. Yes. Um, when my sister passed away, I was so angry with God. And, I, and this is just me being honest, that I just neglected him. Now, in the midst of neglecting him, his mother 
was my mother-in-law was basically passing away. Um, so my sister passed away in June of 2010. My mother-in-law, it, I guess it was a whole year. She passed away in October, October 28th of 2011. Mm-hmm. By September, she just stopped chemo. She was tired. Mm-hmm. So in my own hurt and pain, I couldn't even be there for him because I am waddling, I like to say, and drowning and sinking sand right now while he's watching his mother just do you know, hospice is coming and things like that, just kind of go away. Mm-hmm. And so what I was feeling, I was angry. I really couldn't be around anyone that had sibling. I'm just going to be honest because it's just me and my sister biologically and then my parents you know Mm -hmm. I have my step siblings as well so that that part was hard for me what I learned though is that my husband missed his mom which in theory is like of course but my mother would come over and hang with us and that semi bothered him a little bit because he's like um yeah and that was tough for him but I never knew that until we went to marriage counseling because again, as I said earlier, we didn't know how to communicate at all. So I'm like, we got to figure out something because because of grief, we almost lost us, like our marriage, our home and everything, because we were, we were so, it's almost like a movie I wish I would have recorded because mm-hmm. it was very dreary in my household. Right. So whose idea was it or was it a mutual decision one day to sort of seek help? for, you know, finding out what was going on between you to get some issues cleared and resolved around this? It, it was it was mutual. We identified that we were drowning in mourning when we just looked at each other and cried. Like, that's how bad it was. Like, we would... I don't remember my husband really crying, you know, from losing his mom until that day. Right. Um, We're taught to be strong. We're taught to, you know, move on. So that's what we we all really did what we were taught. But when we realized it was damaging our marriage and our unit, we had to do something like at least we had to try. And if it didn't work, it didn't work. So, yeah, it it was mutual. And usually men especially are taught, you know, to be the strong ones in those situations and that they quite often perceive it as a weakness to cry, don't they? Yes. Yes. And being the manly man, that's what I call it. We got to be the manly man. We got to, you know, be the provider. That's a lot of pressure on the man. Yes. The provider. Um, we, you know, got to make sure the bills are paid. We got to do this. We got we to do all the manly things but grieve. Like, I feel like grieving and mourning is like way to the left. Because what I tell people is we've been taught um, that it's a part of life. But don't nobody want to lose their sibling and their parent. Like, we want our parents to live to see 200. Like, yes. you know, like, let, let's be, you know. So it it may be a part of life, but that doesn't mean it hurts less. No. Somebody once told me that we're never prepared for grief, so especially if you have two sort of quite close together like that, that are close to you, really close members of your family, I'm assuming it could be very, very impactful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and what's interesting is uh, my husband lost his sister around 2005, 2006. So when I lost my sister, my mother-in-law stepped in 
as far as connecting with my mom because they they shared that, you know, yeah. the loss of a child due to cancer. Yes. So they shared that moment. And as my mother-in-law, and this still just makes me want to cry, my mother-in-law is holding on to her last breath and she she would always reassure me that I'm going to be okay. My, your mom's going to be okay. And she is literally fighting for her life. Mm. That's like one of the most powerful things about my mother-in-law that um, that I, I want people to know. Even in her moments of fighting lung cancer, she helped me through my processes, losing my sister and my mom's processes, you know, what what is going on? I lost my child. Now what am I supposed to do? Wow. Own pain. An amazing yeah. woman then, amazing woman. Mm-hmm. So when you um, both sought to seek marriage counselling around, you know, the grief you were experiencing, did you specifically uh, seek out somebody that specialised in, in grief or, or was it uh, marriage counselling and within that that you spoke about your grief? Um, it was, um, it wasn't like a grief counselor. It's just a regular marriage counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we talked about a lot of different things, but a lot of it was caused, um, how do I explain it? A lot of things that we were experiencing was caused because of grief. So like the loss of self, the loss of myself in grief, the loss of myself in marriage, a lot. Like I wanted to really, me personally, make sure that my family was okay. So I'm saying like, I want to make sure they were good. And I could not do that without acting like I wasn't one. You Mm. see what I mean? Like I had to fake it till I make it. Mm. That's the saying um, that we use here in the U.S. So in counseling, I learned that it doesn't, the appearance of being okay is not okay. No. (laughs) Because you're not. And you have to be real with the mourning process and things like that. So, like, my kids now, they are 18, 13, and 11. Um, And I probably, being an intuitive grief coach, is probably to their advantage because when they can feel, I tell them, you feel how you feel. It's not up to me to like it or even understand it. You have to feel how you feel. Mm. So... And it's okay to feel some of those negative feelings, isn't it? It, You know, it's okay to to not 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 be happy in that moment. (laughs) It is, and I I I will say this: I think sometimes the stigma of, like, when I tell people I was mad at God, I get this weird look. Now, nowhere in the world does it say you're not able to be mad at God. Nobody has given me the verse or doctrine or anything. No. But that is how I felt. Mm. I was upset. And it's really seven stages of grief, but the main five mentions anger is number three. And for some people, anger is number one. It's not any particular order, but for me, it was anger. It was why. Like my mother-in-law, I was angry about that because she lost a child um, she had lung cancer. She quit smoking. She stopped doing all those things that you were telling her to do. And this is what you do. And those feelings are okay because truth be told, those are feelings we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. We, 
you know, walking around here with a smile and acting like, you know, we're hunky-dory and we're not, it's not healthy for us. No, I agree with that. So what what were the stages? I know you say they sometimes vary in order, but what are the stages that that most people go through? Denial. Uh, Being in denial of the loss. Um. I know we talked about the loss of a loved one, but losing yourself while you're in a relationship, being consumed with your spouse or partner, being um, not knowing what you like and don't like, like being in denial of those things happening, acceptance, denial, anger. Um, I like to put fear in there. Um, I guess you wouldn't call that a stage, but that's something I'm seeing as of lately. Yes. The fear of living your new life now. Mm. The fear of being alone now. Mm. The fear of smiling and you're still mourning. Those are fears that we have, but we don't, we don't communicate well with those feelings. So like um, one thing I suffered with is meeting new people after my sister passed. Now, to most people, they're like, well, you're friendly. I'm a talker. I'm yes. friendly. All that fun stuff, right? My, my fear was if I meet someone, I start to love, you know, like them as a friend, and I start to love them, they're going to leave. Right. I had, mm-hmm. And then people don't think of it like that, like your trust issue. My husband, I even went th- with that with him, like, if I don't do this and I don't do that, he's going to leave. Mm-hmm. Like, you feel neglected almost. And why is this happening to me? So those are just a few of the things that I see all the time. Okay. So I suppose, is there a similar process, would you say, that people maybe go through when they're heartbroken, you know, when they they didn't not necessarily suffered a death, but, you know, the, the loss of a partner through you know, that partner leaving the relationship or, the, you know, they're separating for whatever reason? Yeah, um, excuse me. One of the things that I see in women is we do the what could I have done better mm. when it's really not about you. Yes. Well, you know what? I, maybe I should have woke up at 5 and not 5 to 10. Oh, maybe I should have made his breakfast every morning like he was used to. And then doing that comparison with your relationship and someone else's. That I see that a lot. Like, well, I see um, Michelle and Barack, right? They got a great relationship. Well, for one, you don't really know that. No, no, of course <laughs> like, not. The truth is you don't know that. You, you're, you're talking about what you see, you know? Mm. Um, so, and, and the third thing is, um, wanting to change for them. <laughs> mm. That's to me a whole nother thing. Wanting to change for them and not for you. Yeah. Because it's almost saying and affirming to yourself that you're not enough as you are. Yep. Absolutely. And that third one for me personally as a woman who has lost herself in their marriage um, and working with women that are gaining their power back, that one is probably the most hurtful because that, that your partner 
loves you or loved you for you, mm. not for how you think you should, how you think you should be, not for what they think. Because right now when you're questioning that part, you know, changing for them, they're not telling you most of the time, oh, I want you to change. Honestly, they're not. That's just something we're thinking as women in our head. So how can you gain yourself back after that? And that's the barrier a lot of women who lose themselves fight. And when I tell you they're fighting, I mean, they are taking a sledgehammer, hitting the brick, and it ain't moving. <laughs> I agree. <It's> not- <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I call it the, the, and I've mentioned this before on other episodes, you know, the, the phase where we go through where we're shooting all over ourselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Into saying yeah, I should be doing this or I should be doing that or I should have done that. this or I should have done that and I have to stop say stop right there you stop shooting all over yourself mm-hmm. well and, and it's I call it the woulda shoulda coulda syndrome yes you first of all the woulda shoulda coulda is what it is it, we don't even know what the ending result would be in anything so the repentance of saying that to me sabotages your mind so if I'm always like, well, if I had a had a better credit score, we could have got the house he wanted. This is literally a real scenario I'm from today. I could have got the the house he wanted, and that's why he left. Sometimes people leave or are not able to be there for you because they're working on themselves. It has nothing to do with the house and the credit score. But that's all we see. You know, like it's deeper than what we see so it's interesting because today i talked about sometimes we look at the surface and we go with that when it's deeper than that and we don't even need to know the deepness because it's really none of our business that is the part yeah that is people we got to get we got to like embrace that something just ain't none of our business it's just (laughs) not yeah, there's a famous yeah. saying that what people think about you is none of your business. <laughs> business, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So it, it's um, it's interesting. It, you know, working with women who have lost themselves has been so enlightening for me that I'm just like, I could write about this all day. <laughs> so I'm like, whoa. Yeah. You know, so... Well, tell me more about that because I know recently you said that you've 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 got a book out with some co-authors, and um, the title is "Where Did I Go?" So, is this specifically about stories of of grief? This is about um, a form of loss that I feel like, well, we feel like because we all collectively said we feel like it is not being addressed, and that's the loss of self while in a relationship. Loss of self in motherhood, loss of self in career, loss of self. Um, we have a story where there's a um, young woman who was married to an abuser. There's one who was married to or with a narcissist. There is a story in there um, about a young lady who lost herself in tradition. Because there's different types of relationships. People equate relationships to a spouse or a partner. Mm. And unfortunately, relationships are built on uh, with other aspects, career, mom, especially motherhood. I mean, let's 
I don't know a mother who hasn't lost herself at some point because you want to be that good, good mom and you want to be on top of things and stuff like that. Yeah. So you're, you're, instead of being you, you're, you're wearing that mom hat all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in that book, the 10 authors, and they're so amazing. Um, I cried when I read their stories, each and every one, because I could relate in some way. Uh, yeah, it, it's even the narcissistic wife. That's the title of her. Her name is Cass. That's the title of her um, chapter. Even though I'm not married to a narcissist, I could see myself like, oh, my God, making sure he's good, um, making sure the house is clean because you don't want to make him mad. And, you know, those type of things that even if you're not married to a narcissist in the back of our head, we think of those things. Mm. And how, how does that even come up if they haven't at the point she was saying that she hadn't really known he was abusive yet. So that was like a pre notion mindset she had. Mm. so it's like as women how many of us do that like we have this pre-notion of how marriage should be follow tradition even in the um traditional excuse me traditional wife which is my story um I talk about being like my grandmother and my great-grandmother where we had where they had 10 kids and they stayed at home and we're, we're in 2019 uh Three is enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. And staying at home may not be an option because we're in a whole different era. You know, it's a whole new program now. So, um, yeah, it's the loss of self while in a relationship. That's what Where Did I Go is about. And it comes out October 14th on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. Excellent. Well, um, I really look forward to, to seeing when that comes out and having a read of those stories. It sounds so powerful, Andrea. Yes, thank you, thank you. So, when you think about um, maybe the other side of the coin, what was what was it that was I suppose surprising to you to learn about how your husband was feeling when you um, went for the counselling that you hadn't sort of acknowledged or seen before? I didn't know he was hurting so bad, and that kind of sounds cliche. Like, how do you not know that? My husband is a very proud man. He doesn't wear his feelings on his sleeve. He is like, um, <laughs> the best way I can describe him, he's like the comedian mm. and the, the head of the household and a proud man. Yes. And the way he expresses his grief is not in tears. We have been, I know, I've been conditioned to teach I mean, teach. I've been conditioned to think that grief means crying. Yes. Like, that's just what I go to. Mm-hmm. My husband, grief means anger. So when his mother passed away, he hit the wood door. This is a really wood door, like wood. You can't do nothing with this. You can't move it or anything. He punched the door. He left. And my mother went looking for him. Like he walked. He didn't drive. He just was walking. Mm-hmm. And for him, it was it was the anger of his mama leaving that way. Again, we know that our parents being 200 is not realistic. But his mama leaving that way. 
And this was the second time he's seen cancer take a loved one because his sister passed um, in the early 2000s. Right. It yeah. was like him reliving that again. Mm-hmm. And compounding it probably. Yeah. Yeah. And he hadn't really dealt with the grief of his sister um, either. So I learned that the way he conveys his emotions is not of what we think. It is how he conveys it. And it's anger. His first thing is anger every time. That's just what it is. So as a wife, I have I had to learn like when he gets in those moments, allow him to be in that moment. Yes. Don't tell him to stop because we do that. People yeah. do that. Oh, it's okay. Stop. First, <laughs> first it is okay. And don't tell me to stop because now you want me to fight something that's in me and I need to get it out. Yeah. So um, what my husband started to do, he started to exercise. His way is going to the gym. That's how he conveys and his grief journey is going to the gym and sitting in the tub and marinating on life and what he can do better um, as a parent or as a husband or whatever he's thinking in there. Well, those are the two ways that he deals with his grief journey. Right. So, so he, that's something I learned. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. So he channels his anger through, you know, exercise and working out down the gym is what you're saying. And, yep. and people need to get that out. Like, cause like you say, if people suppress those, negative emotions that's what causes disease and stress and which also leads to disease isn't it mm-hmm. well yes and when you suppress it um a lot of other emotions can come up but i do want to mention this to people the ones that are listening here physical grief is a real thing when i suppressed my sister's um passing when my mother suppressed i use my mother as a prime example when my sister passed away, my mother started having many strokes. Like, mm. she wasn't herself. She was, like, in this zombie-like mode. She wasn't eating. She wasn't taking her medication. She didn't work. Like, all these things started to happen. And what the doctor said to me was so key. He said, I could give your mom more medicine, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Your mom's body is grieving. So this is what we're going to do. We diverse the plan. We'll make sure I, you know, my stepdad's there. He's going to work. I would go over there, sit with her. You know, mm-hmm. I would bring the kids over more often. The kids coming over is really what started to light that fire in my mind. Right. It was a comfort. The comfort. They were comforting to her. Yes. And so I just want to point out that when you suppress, things can happen to your body that has never happened before. I started to get panic attacks. I've never had panic attacks a day in my life, like ever. And when I realized, when I could identify why, I went back to counseling. I love therapy. (laughs) I would tell somebody in a heartbeat, um, even as a grief coach, I need somebody to pour into me too, Mm. because I hurt as well. It doesn't mean my heart goes away because I'm helping others. It means that, Hey, I can identify when it's time, you know? So I just wanted to put that in there. So I think we forget about the physical part. I I agree. Because the thing is that, you know, um, with what you're saying about, um, even though you're an intuitive grief coach yourself, 
you needing somebody as well to support you because, you know, how are you going to attract clients who believe in the power of having a grief coach if you don't or have never experienced it yourself mm-hmm, or believe absolutely. in it, you know, or have demonstrated that. So I think it's great, you know, that you can say you, that you've invested in that. Absolutely. Because, um, you know, at the end of the day, you're being a role model for saying it's okay to seek that help mm-hmm. and it works more importantly. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That support yes. works. So how did things change once you'd had your sessions with, with, with counseling with, between yourself and your husband? Oh, we communicated way better. Just, just from day to day. It didn't have to be, you know, this big discussion. Again, women, we do that, <laughs> you know, it was, hey, you know, I hope you have a good day. You just started off with that, a simple text, um, a kiss in the morning, at night, a kiss before we go to sleep. Um, you you know, you got to know your spouse's love language. My husband's love language is hugs and kisses, like, <laughs> <laughs> and watching football. And so for me, I had to take that time out to do that because I knew he needed just as much as I needed him. He needed me. So. Um, we communicate way, way more now, like probably over communicate, but it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we believe in the power of speaking things into in existence. Uh, right now I'm from Wisconsin, but six years ago we, we moved to Texas and that was because we needed a space where we could grieve our way. It was very difficult to grieve in Wisconsin and Oh, our whole family is there. So it was like difficult, you know, because um, we're moving and we're making sure everybody's okay. But we didn't have anybody really pouring into us per se, if that makes sense. You know, so yeah. um, our communication, I can tell you now, like 14 years later, with a grown kid in college and everything, we communicate with the utmost respect. Um, we don't argue. We never really argue, but we're at the point now where we can sit down and talk about things. We don't have to agree, (laughs) but we can talk about some things. Um, The text and the kisses, like to most people, they're like, that's simple. But we forget about those simple things that is important. Those are important. Yeah, ain't that the truth? (laughs) Yeah, they are important. Those little gestures, they they are so important and and very powerful in in their own way. And we miss that, you know, when it stops happening, don't we? We really miss that Mm -hmm. and grieve for that in our own way too when that stops Mm -hmm. happening, you know, for whatever reason in our relationships. So thank you so much, Andrea, for sharing all that. There there was some really, um, you know, great information contained within all that. So how can our listeners contact you if they want to know a bit more about what you do and um, how you work as an intuitive grief coach? Yes. So um, you can go check out my website at www.andreaamore.co and also on all social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you can uh, look up Andrea A. Moore, or From Grief to Grind. Excellent. I'll make sure that information, as always, is contained within our show notes as well so that our listeners can access that at their leisure should they not have caught that actually on the audio. 
And once again, I just want to thank you so much, Andrea. I've really found it a fascinating discussion and, and with lots of interesting information contained in there. And I'm sure a lot that will resonate with our listeners too. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Absolutely. Thank you. You're very welcome. And on that note, listeners, remember that true love starts with opening your hearts. Until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.